The headlines tonight. Space program runs into snag as rockets haven't been invented yet. Country can no longer afford luxuries such as billionaires, say economists. And wasps, are they the new crisps? Welcome to the campaign trail. Top story tonight. A victory for the striking workers at the weapons factory was achieved last night as the weapons giant Raytheon was defeated. It was a climactic battle, full of emotional moments and some kick-ass music. Our epic finale correspondent, Bill Griffin, is on the scene. Bill? Hey there. Hello, newsreader person. It is high. Bungling Uncle Boz. I found this broadcasting equipment just lying around. I think you need to give that back to Bill. Oh, but where's the fun in that? I'm the Shadow Foreign Secretary anyway. You should want to hear what I have to say about all this. Go on then. Let's hear it. Well. Lisa Townsend and her little gang have upset the balance of business in this economy, and others before it. They're vandals and scoundrels, not like me. I'm just a funny little man, couldn't hurt a fly. I don't have ulterior motives, I'm just a silly guy. Watch me burp the alphabet. No, no, thank you. I'd rather eat my own mattress. We apologise to our audience for this interruption. I think it's time we got back to the show, don't you? Soaring through the clouds, the airship Bessie rushes past a flock of griffins who scatter and bray in the wake of the machine. Captain Biscuit holds firm to the wheel and gives it a spin before handing it off to her co-pilot Croc. She turns to the team and gives you all a big beaming smile. Another adventure done then? Brilliant! You know what that means. It's time for some vending with Vendos! Hello! Hey. Oh, oh, I was going to say, I am in a little bit of a fiddly bit of his book. Would you mind going ahead? Uh, Captain Biscuit just kind of uh, gestures uh, Perrin over to the vending machine. Uh, the Vendos boots up and the lights flicker across his interface face. And you hear the little voice say, Hello! I'm Vendos, the vending machine of magic. Would you like some magical items? Don't forget to fill out your expense forms. Hi, friend. I would love some magical items. What are you interested in, Perrin? Um, I think Perrin has been looking at the list of items since they took off in anticipation, just to be sure of their decision. <laughs> um, and I'd like the psychedelic paper. The psychedelic paper. Would you like to read the description? Get with the groove, man. A hypnotic piece of paper that can put one creature into a trance. The creature must be able to see with eyes and be looking right at it. They will be dazed, confused, kind of laid back for the duration as long as you keep holding it up to them. Make con checks every turn to keep your arm up as it seems to get, like, really heavy with every passing moment. 
But then, like, life is heavy, man. Cool. So, uh, how are you writing your uh, expense, expense claim to the expenses office? Dear Mr. Gorlax Money People, <laughs> I hope this email finds you in good health despite the current situation. Um, please, may I have some shiny paper? It would make me happy. All of my love, Perrin. XOXOXOXO. Well, I think those XOs are going to help you along there. Can you roll a persuasion check? <laughs> yeah, I can. I've got a 13. That is not sufficient, I'm afraid. No! Um, so you get a eh and you are declined. But you do get a chance to roll for the random item. Uh, would you like to roll yeah. a D100? 100. I've got 96. 96. Okay, uh, a small little box pops out of the vending machine, and you pick it up and you open it, and you find a ring hidden within. Uh, as you pop it, pop it on. Is it, it shiny? Uh, fairly shiny. Um, Vendor says, "This is the ring of teleportation. Why don't you give it a try? Just tap it on the side three times." Tap, tap, tap. The ring disappears. <laughs> the ring has been teleported four miles east. <laughs> Is it like a game of fetch, but for people? <laughs> sure, let's go with that. Uh, who's next? Go on then, I'll have a go. Agrilad, what are you interested in? I want them there, goo laces. The goo laces. Do you want to read the description on the goo laces? These viscous and horrible shoelaces that writhe and wriggle on your feet will give you that extra op to get wherever you're going. Plus five to initiative rolls. Okay, uh, would you like to write out your expense claim form? How are you um, arguing your case here? Oi, lad. I need some money to buy some new laces, because the last lot I had broke and my shoes fell off and I've not been able to find them since. Does Agrilad wear shoes? Is he a halfling? Of course not. So what are you going to do with the, Are you just going to tie the laces around your feet? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, roll your persuasion check. I can re-roll that because it's a natural one. I got an 11. Yeah, you are approved. So, uh, you uh, a squirming pile of laces come out of the vending machine and you wrap them around your feet and uh, you kind of hop around a bit getting used to them because they're a bit kind of goopy and squelchy. Uh, do you want to try your luck on the random item uh, dispenser as well? Ooh, I get a go at that as well. Yeah, because these are just jokes. <laughs> Roll your D100. 21. 21. I've got to scroll all the way back to the top now. Okay, cool. A uh, set of armour comes out of the um, vending machine. Uh, it is uh, sized to a halfling. Uh, it's quite impressive and bejeweled armour. And uh, Vendos uh, says, This is the anti-weapon armour. An armour that is so powerful that no weapon can touch it. Yes, any weapon they used against this armour passes straight through it. Um, that kind of seems a little bit daft to me. The armour is in impeccable condition, I think you'll agree. It's been attacked by hordes of, uh, of armies and, uh, and terrible creatures, and yet the, uh, not a scratch on it. As for I'll the occupants of the armour, I can't, uh, can't speak to that. 
I'll tell you what, I'm going to gift this to Pen. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on one of your skeletons. <laughs> what, me? I shall have a look inside. Uh, there's nothing inside it. It's just I'm empty halfling shaped armour. Well, I don't think I could get my legs in there. <laughs> Maybe that can make it dance. I've seen you practicing. There's no bones. No bones about it. Details. Well, do I don't you think you quite understand. I don't think you quite understand the chromancy here. <laughs> Fine, I'll put it on my mockagen, and me and Timmy will use it for target practice. <laughs> well, that sounds fair. Uh, who's next, uh, Pen or Victrina? Well, since, since I've been go? disturbed. I think I, I think I think it's about time I put my claim in for a, an advanced technical manual on necromancy. Yes, I thought you'd be more receptive to uh, Raisin Heck Necromancy for Advanced Students with illustrations by Pelicos the Artistic. I uh, would like to read the uh, description there, Pen. The necromantic skills you need to get you through the day. Take a turn reading the passage and choose to regain either free first level spell slots two two second level spell slots or one one third level spell slot use once per day yep uh so do you want to write out your uh, expense claim form i have already done so oh okay what's your uh, argument my argument is a ream of a4 paper (laughs) closely filled in Oh, it's, it's not what blank. I do it okay. Night, you see. <laughs> I write essays. Oh, you've written a whole essay. Yes. Uh, okay, I'll give I'll give you plus three to this roll uh, to to uh, uh, go with your um, persuasion check. If they don't freeze it. Uh, Sixteen. That is just good enough. Uh, so you a, a a large tome comes thumping out of the. Um, vending machine and you receive a copy of Raisin Heck Necromancy for Advanced Students Uh, I scroll automatically to page 142 (laughs) and put my hand over the somewhat graphic illustration of 143 (laughs) that Pelicos is artistic he's he's very artistic he's done a good very detailed job um (laughs) If not biologically accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Or indeed physically possible. (laughs) (laughs) But visually impressive. Yes. Uh, Would you like to roll your D100 for your hilariously useless magic item? Oh, I've almost lost that. Um, 20. 20. Uh, Another book comes tumbling out of the... um, is it two for one? Uh, it seems to be a blank uh, notebook uh, to begin with. And then Vendor says, Ah, yes, the Journal of Record. This records everything that happens to it from its own perspective. And you see that already it's written, Fell out of vending machine. <laughs> I pick it up. Was picked up. Oh. But it doesn't tell you who it was picked up by. No, it doesn't. Most of its entries will read was in a backpack. Do you not know who I am? Was spoken to by person. Well, that's disappointing. 
close it. Was closed. <laughs> you see it writing just as you close it. Uh, Victrina, you stride up to the vending machine. What are you after? I quite like the head cannon. The head cannon. Would you like to read the description on the yes. head cannon? The oh, I guess it now. I'm hearing it said out loud. <laughs> <laughs> the head cannon is a hat with a small artillery device affixed to the top. Will blast your enemies away, dealing 5d10 plus 10 fire damage. Upon the hit, the target must also make a dexterity saving throw of DC 19 or be knocked prone. However, the recoil will knock you unconscious for at least 12 hours. I'm using your int skill plus one. Uh, okay, uh, how are you justifying this to the finance office? Well, um, we've been travelling all over the place and my head is getting cold. Uh, and I believe that having a small firing device on top of it would warm it up. Also, I could really do with the, uh, the odd 12 hour kit. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, roll your persuasion check. Okay. I'll give you plus two because I like that. I rolled a 13. 13? Uh, that is insufficient, I'm afraid. You are denied the head cannon. They're mean, aren't they? They are yeah. a bit mean. Uh, they need it's some encouraging. Uh, so, would you like to roll a d100? Uh, yes, because I want the hilariously you. Hello, 29? 29. You're getting 20s. <laughs> Sorry, okay. You. Uh, Is this something really stupid? Yay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a huge bundle of rope comes pouring out of the vending machine and uh, is tangled up at your feet. And Vendor says, Ah, this is the Infinity Rope, a magical rope of infinite length. However, it is, unfortunately, hopelessly not knotted and tangled. Brilliant. I'm going to take that to my room and untangle it. <laughs> it is impossible to untangle. That will keep me busy for the rest of my life. <laughs> yes, indeed it will. It looks a little bit like the cord I used to use to tie up the newspapers of the news agents in Clanchigley. <laughs> That's not a real place. it is. Is it near? Is it near Wrinkly Bottom? Well, no. That's where Mr. Bobby lives. That's just a silly name. I thought it was near Boyle on the Bum. (laughs) We could all sit here all day making up funny place names. Maybe we should. Maybe, maybe that'll be should. a good use of our short lives. Maybe, maybe for for next series, uh, you can all help me come up with uh, constituency names. Can we call um, one aim. Yeah, we can. <laughs> so, uh, not long after you've had your um, jaunt with the vending machine and you're flying over the waves, you uh, all uh, head to bed and uh, take uh, a nap. Um, Perrin. Uh, you wake up uh, at some point and uh, you are uh, indulging oh, yourself in one of your favourite pastimes. Uh, what is it? Um, what's one of my favourite pastimes? Play. Ugh. When I was at the monastery, I used to try and play hide and seeks with the monks, but they were all dead, so I would just sit in a corner on my own. And now I have friends and that seems even sadder than it did at the time. So I think I've taken up crochet. Aww. Uh, well, I'm sh- crocheting a, um, a gravestone, aren't I? <laughs> yes, of course you are. Uh, so, as you are uh, crocheting, uh, you, get, you get into a really good bit. Uh, however, you hear a crash coming from the ship's kitchen. What do you do? At first I check that it's not my stomach rumbling. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> then I um, take my crochet with me and go and have a look. 
Okay, uh, you hear some sort of hushed swearing uh, and then some clinking of bottles. Uh, down the corridor you sneak flower, ta- flower crown tipped menacingly, uh, bonking stick raised. You push open the kitchen door and are met with the long face of horse. Why the long face? It, pfft, <laughs> uh, you too. It gives you a sort of baleful stare and then nods over to the fridge, where you see a man halfway inside the help. fridge. <laughs> Indeed, you see the man who is halfway inside your fridge pulling out some bottles of new milk. Uh, he looks up at you and is startled and then he grins it's the green lord hi friends parrot there you are i mean hello my my lord my my patron it's not appropriate for me to call you friend is it i thought you might be in the fridge yeah i have been known to be in the fridge but that was just when i was playing hide and seek with the monks exactly see that's what got me he uh, surreptitiously puts some of the bottles of uh, new milk in his saddlebags. Uh, make a perception check for me, eh? uh, for a parent. What's my perception? Um, 14. You notice, uh, in all of your past interactions, he's kind of sort of loomed above you with his sort of godly presence. Now he's about of a height with you. He's kind of on eye level with you now, which is a bit odd. Uh, you've 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 lost height. <laughs> he blinks up at you and goes, "Oh, you know, downsizing. <laughs> Nothing to worry about. Trying to keep everything together in one place." Uh, that's. I don't think that's how bodies work. Well, it's um, God stuff. <laughs> We're different to you mortals. We've got our own way of doing things. <laughs> I hear you did some pretty impressive stuff back there in the old robot town. I've not been there for a while myself. That's Red's territory. I've met a friend of yours. Yeah, I've, I've met uh, some of their followers, at least. Ah, good old Red. <laughs> I could beat him in an arm wrestle. Well, he said I made a message for you. What was it? Do you want to send you your best, or was it more threatening? Something about owing money? Yeah, well, if you see him again, tell him his check's in the mail, and it's all completely on the level, and it won't bounce. You don't seem as confident as you used to. Maybe I'm more confident so I'm noticing it now, but... Uh, he, again, like, blinks hurriedly, and um, you see his eyes kind of darting around. Let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you, my loyal follower. Thou hast done great work, and thy skill shall okay. be rewarded. And he sort of panicked, looks through his pockets, and then uh, pulls out a small bag of fine white powder uh, that Is smells this very sweet. Uh, it's, it reminds you of Sherbert. Okay. Uh, he hands it to you. What am I meant to do with this? Why don't you try it out? I put my entire like, dragon snoot into the bag. <laughs> you inhale the Sherbert. I start uh, coughing <laughs> very heavily. Uh, the Green Lord takes a step back. And- hey, ooh, I'm not sure you're supposed to eat it. <laughs> this is horrible. Why would you give this to me? <laughs> Wow, you've got a strong stomach, kid. That's invisibility power. I think it will still work. When you are in an area of dim light or darkness, you can become invisible, but only while standing still. And he walks over to the light switch, flicks the lights off, and... Can you see me? No, I turned the lights off. But... Do I have dark vision? Do you? 
Do I? Do we toast it? <laughs> do you want to check yours? <laughs> I do it right now, yes. Um, no! No, you don't. So you're both two people without dark vision standing in the dark, uh, not able to see one another. We, we could wake someone up. I'm... Uh, look, does, I'm a good your, guy. I'm sure it works. Uh, the horse licks your face. Oh, <laughs> do horses lick faces? Yes. I saw it in, in the two and towers. And they blow up people's noses. Oh, bless them. <laughs> and tread on people's toes. Uh, if you're not and, careful. And sometimes bite them. <laughs> so, before I go, kid, you got any problems? Any issues you want the old guy to sort out for you? Yeah, I want to know more about you and why you don't want to talk about yourself and if you're okay. Me? I'm fine. Of course I'm fine. Just been in a bit of a cash flow problem. <laughs> Nothing to worry about. How, how, how long has that been going on for? Um, can you make a charisma check? I'm very charismatic. <laughs> I've got a non-natural 20. Okay. Um, he. You see he's about to get up on his horse and then he sort of sees your big puppy dog eyes and my big dragon eyes dragon eyes and he slowly like goes back down and uh, he comes up to you and sort of uh, puts an arm around you and goes kid there's stuff going on in the old god realm that's well it's not good I'll level with you it's a little scary should I be scared not right away but I suppose it's my duty to tell you about this Duty. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> There's this god, or there was, called the Blue Lord. He was a friend of mine. Well, you know, people used to worship him, they gave him tribute, he had warlocks aplenty. But one by one, people started leaving, and slowly, he started losing his power. Now, this is a big secret that I shouldn't be giving you. I like secrets. Good to know. Here's the thing. A patron's power comes from their followers, the devotion and connection that they have. It's that bond that gives us our power. But when it's gone, well, like old Blue, we start diminishing, and people started leaving his religion for another, more popular one. I heard the same thing is happening to Red. Never thought it had happened I to thought... me. And you, Perrin, you're one of the select few very special followers of the Green Lord. I thought you said you had loads of followers, like you were a big god. I was! Uh, I mean, things are tough, but I'm still doing okay for myself. Totally okay. Does this mean that I'm not going to be able to do my magic if you die? You can't die, can you? I can't die? Don't be ridiculous. It's just, I want you to promise me something. If somebody comes around trying to get you to join another god's religion, you got to turn them down. Especially if they're... And again, he's kind of pained as he's saying this, and he looks over his shoulder, almost as if he's expecting someone to be listening in. And goes, if anyone asks you about the Yellow Lord, you gotta get the hell out of there. You run. You're in a thousand miles in the other direction. Uh, why would I? You've done so much for me. I'm just concerned because I care about you. Uh, he hops up on his horse, um, and he looks at you, considering for a moment, and goes, <laughs> You really want to help me out? You've helped me out more than enough, I'd be happy to. Okay, here's something. If you find yourself in a place you can get some information for me, look up a guy called Terence Beard. Terence Beard? Is he a friend? He looks away, sort of 
wistfully and goes, Is he your ex? Oh, no, I shouldn't ask. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's nothing what? like that. But if you read his story, it'll help you out. Help you understand. It'll prepare you for what's okay. coming. But I've already said more than I should. It'll get me in trouble with the Council of Rainbows. Council of Rainbows? Yeah, that's what we call ourselves. How, 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 how can, I, can I have a Council of Rainbows? Um, he blinks at you and goes, Um, that would be an ecumenical matter. You're immortal. I don't know if you could handle being burned out and taken over by a god of the Pantheon. I mean, I haven't written a five-year plan yet, so if you find out, let me know. You know what? I will. I will bless you with my holy breath, and this will keep you oh. prepared. <sighs> Thank you. You're doing good, Baron. You know what? If I'm not careful, I'm going to be the one relying on uh, you. Okay. And uh, he uh, rides Thank off. Thank you, my liege. Uh, the horse vanishes in a burst of leaves through the wall. See you around, kiddo. Uh, though he does knock off a couple of pans from the wall as he does this. Uh, what does Perrin do after this? A little bit shaken. Turns the lights back on. Because I think we were just having that conversation in the dark. <laughs> um, Get some new milk out the fridge. Pops it in a mug. Pops the mug in the fantasy microwave. <laughs> and has a mug of hot milk. While doing a little bit more crocheted just to try and calm down a bit. Okay. Um, as you're sort of walking through, you do see that there are... Uh, Lisa tends to uh, bring a lot of uh, newspapers and uh, books and things from uh, wherever you've just been uh, to do research. Um, are you tempted to do research now, or is that something you're going to save till later? Probably save till later, I think. Okay, cool. So, Aguilad, it's time for your training with Timmy. So, uh, what skill are you going to train Timmy on this time? <laughs> This time, I'm going to train Timmy on how to make nettle tea. Okay, I'm going to call this intelligence then. Um, so, uh, what does your lesson look like? This is nettles. You mm -hmm. put them in a pot. I once ate a nettle hole. You get some water, you boil it, you put the boiling water in the pot, you let it stand for five minutes, then you pour what's in the pot into a cup and drink it. Mr. Aguilad, does... Does, does the nettle have legs? No. How does a it nettle stand? Nettle is a kind of plant. And <laughs> you don't have to take everything so literally, Timmy lad. This coming from Aguilad. <laughs> <laughs> you let it steep. You let it flavour. You let the you let the nettles infuse the water with their taste. Ooh. And does that, that leaves it alone for five minutes. Ooh. That's a long time, Mr. Aguilad. Aye, well, any longer and it tastes foul. Any less time and it tastes foul. Five minutes is exactly the right amount of time for nettle tea to taste just right. And by just right, I mean not foul. <laughs> hmm. uh, he picks up his nettle tea and uh, he tastes it and does a little bit of a face. And then he pulls out from his pocket uh, a bag of sugar and just dumps half of it into the cup and then drinks Ew. it again. <laughs> Too much sugar. You don't put sugar in nettle tea. Well, I just did. I'm an innovator, Mr. Aguilad. That's something beginning with I. <laughs> Mr. Aguilad, do you not like training me? Training is not the problem. 
It's getting me to remember stuff when I've trained you in it. Hmm. Like, I bet they can't remember how to make poor cock, can they? I remember I giggling about every time you said poor cock. <laughs> pork ock. Poor cock. And this is why, oh, tell you what, go practice your punching. Uh, can you make an intelligence check, uh, Agrilad? I got a 14. 14? Um, okay, I don't think you managed to improve his intelligence skill on this um, <laughs> uh, lesson uh, plan. <laughs> I think it kind of goes over his head a bit. You surprise uh, me. So, uh, later in the day, uh, as you're in the dojo, training away, uh, what does what does your combat training look like? Uh, it's got to the point now where I'm actually letting letting him try to hit me back. Ooh, okay. Uh, so I am padded up. I'm wearing <laughs> all the pads necessary. Right, he's going to make an attack roll against you. D uh, twenty. Uh, that's a twenty-three, which I imagine is going to hit. Yeah, that's going to hit. That's uh, going to hit. And he does. Well, it would have been 10 points of damage, but since you're padded up, I'm going to call it 5. Uh, could you make a dexterity saving throw? 22. You manage to stay on your feet. Uh, he is sort of bouncing in front of you, uh, doing this. You know, he's got his uh, got his fists up and it's kind of ready for you to hit him back. He goes, Come on, Mr. Aguilad, I can take it. I'm a big I'll boy think, now. I, th I think that's enough for now, right? Yep, uh, now we need to meditate. Meditate? Oh, yeah, okay. it's where you sit quietly in a corner and don't move. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, Mr. Agalad. Did, did I go too hard again? No, no, it's fine, lad. I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna go put some ice on my chest because it's part of my meditation. <laughs> uh, he goes and sits down and uh, pretends to meditate. And after a few minutes, I think it's fairly obvious that he's uh, just gone to sleep. Uh, you head to the kitchen and, uh, seeing some curious hoof prints on the floor, uh, you grab an ice pack and, uh, lie down, I think, somewhere with, with it on, on your chest. Uh, as you are doing some meditation, uh, you think back to some of the old stories of Chickenfoot, uh, of, uh, some of Chickenfoot's, uh, great... Uh, battles against uh, horrible creatures and monsters. Uh, there's a story of uh, of Chickenfoot um, uh, kicking the living shit out of a giant ox that rose out of the mountainside. Uh, and in this story, uh, Chickenfoot manages to uh, punch the ox's uh, face uh, about 50 times in under a second. And uh, scholars of Chickenfoot have uh, speculated for many years about uh, how this terrible, uh, how this uh, amazing feat was um, was accomplished. Uh, where does Aguilad fall on this argument? Fifty times in under a second is kind of a little bit stretching things, if you ask me. Now, if they'd have said forty-eight, then I'd have accepted <laughs> it. Fifty's too round of a number. It's too convenient. Aye. Um, as you're kind of trying to work out, you know, how fast uh, would one have to move their arms in order to do this? Uh, or maybe that particular chicken foot was a drider. Maybe, yeah, they would have like lots of arms, yeah. So as you're um, meditating on this story, uh, something comes to you and you visualise yourself in the dojo um, 
punching at the little dummy uh, multiple times, your fists flying right through the uh, invincible armour uh, <laughs> multiple times. And in this visualisation, uh, you see yourself hitting a creature, not once, but twice in a single move. Uh, and you find yourself with the newfound ability to have an extra attack during combat. And that's explaining how you've leveled up. <laughs> ah, Dukin. <laughs> Victrina. Uh, Hello. You are approached by Captain Biscuit at some point. Uh, she pulls you to one side and says, Victrina, bit of a problem I need your help with. You remember that flock of griffins we flew through the other day? Yeah. Well, it seems one of them's got stuck in the engine. Oh. I need a hand getting it out. And, well, you're the only one I trust. Heron doesn't seem the type to poke at an angry bird creature while it's in a panic. And Penne would probably want it to die, so who can reanimate it? Oh, and Agrilad isn't so good with heights. So, if you could just put on this harness, that'd be great. Okay, um... I will do that. I put on the harness. Uh, she takes you into the um, med bay where there is a porthole outside. Uh, she closes the med bay door uh, with a certain emergency lock so that uh, nobody accidentally stumbles in and flies out the open airlock. Uh, as you hook yourselves on, the wind comes blaring through the porthole, and uh, it's, it's very chilly. Um, with your, uh, I think like your armour starts to frost up a little bit because you're quite high up. Uh, so, uh, you see the cloud swirling be below like a white ocean. You clamber along a thin metal rail that runs along the outside of the ship. Uh, the wings, wind is quite strong, tugging on your stylish cape. Uh, how is Victrina with heights? Victrina's fine with heights. She doesn't like falling off them. I mean, few people do, to be fair. Um... You um, come around the outside of the ship. Um, I suppose this is kind of—it's going to be somewhat similar to uh, one of your many escapades, um, climbing up mountains in your um, in my army days. In your army yes. days, my military uh, days. Yes, except that I have to extract a squawking, wiggling griffin from from an airship engine. Yeah, so it's a little bit different. Uh, as you um, get closer to the engine, you can hear it kind of grinding and struggling. And there you see stuck in one of the propellers, uh, not so much stuck, but sort of clinging onto one of the propellers, uh, which is slowing it down considerably, uh, is a large griffin. Uh, it takes one look at you and gives a snap and a screech as you get close. Uh, what do you do? I'm, I'm going to pull a pair of gloves on. <laughs> Good it looks idea. like it's got bugs or bites or fleas or sour crop or something. It's got sour cream. Um, sour cream, even worse. <laughs> oh, oozy. Uh, you get a bit closer to it and it gives you a, a snarl and, a, and it rakes a claw towards you. Uh, but that's Biscuit, have you got, have you got a net? Uh, she says, I'm afraid not as such. And she hands you a butterfly net. Yay, thank you. <laughs> that's useful. I was thinking of something a little bigger. Can you do a magic spell to enlarge it? Oh, no, you can't. No. I forgot. No, I cannot do a magic spell to enlarge the net. Uh, um, you know what would be quite useful would be that infinitely long rope that's very, very tight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can try chucking that at it. 
Yeah, so I thought if it, maybe it could catch it with its claws. So we, can we you know, go back and just draw out some of the very tangly rope? I'll say that you've already got it. You've got it in your pack with you, uh, just to save us some time here. Uh, yeah, uh, chuck it. So uh, throw with your dexterity skill, I think. Nineteen. Nineteen, cool, yeah. You throw it onto the griffin, and uh, it does indeed sort of scroll out like a very tangled net. Uh, and the griffin gets somewhat caught in it, uh, and you can sort of pull at it now. I've got to pull it, pull it towards yeah. me. make a strength check. Fourteen. Fourteen, yeah, you manage to dislodge it from the engine. But it comes again swinging at you with one of its claws. Uh, trying to help you, you stupid bird, <laughs> horse, lion thing. Uh, 15 versus AC. Yeah, that does not hit. Ah, it clangs off your armour. Uh, and it's uh, still trying to break free from the um, the ropes. Uh, if what do you, you do? stop wiggling, I can help you. Do you make an animal handling? Do you, do you speak, human? Uh, it does help. not. Does not. Uh, and then it was eleven. Eleven. Uh, no. Uh, again, like tries to um, tries to peck at you with its beak. If I let go of it, can it fly or are its wings damaged? Uh, its wings are, are, are now uh, caught in the infinite rope. Right. So, so if I let go, it will just be hanging on the infinite rope. Yeah. Infinitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, so it'll probably theoretic- plummet to its death. So, so theoretically, the rope could just keep on spooling all the way to the ground. Yeah, where it would just plummet infinite. to its death. I don't want it to plummet to its death. Mm, yeah. I'm going to try and keep pulling it back inside the medbay. This Pull sounds it. like a great idea. Um. Yeah, this, this doesn't sound dangerous at all. Let's release the tiny lion bird dinosaur thing inside <laughs> the ship. So, you managed to pull it across the outside of the uh, airship. Uh, its claws are trying to dig into the balloon. <laughs> Uh, what do you do to try and stop it? Oh dear. Oh, don't do that! Don't do that, silly bird! Uh, Captain Biscuit says, Cut the rope! Cut the if rope! I cut, if I cut the rope, it will fall to its death! No, you'll release it from its prison! That's what I was thinking! Is that what you were thinking? Um, yes! Well, a Gordian moment, knot situation! Cut the rope or, or pop the balloon, so I'm going to cut the rope. Alright, make an attack. I'm trying very hard not to hit the... the Griffin at the same time because you know damaged enough. Uh, that is a thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. Uh, as you are um, slicing and dicing uh, across the incredibly tangled rope, uh, you stick at various parts of it, uh, and in a sort of in the uh, the heightened tension of being you know miles in the air, uh, dragging a panicking Griffin. Uh, you somehow feel that you have pushed yourself beyond your normal limits and have done quite a lot of uh, jabs with your sword, more than you normally would in a, a single six-second turn. Uh, and you realise... Twice as many as I do. Yes, indeed. And you realise as the griffin is released and goes flying off, flipping you off as it goes, uh, you oh, realise... I'm, I'm going to flip it off back. <laughs> not saving you again. Uh, you realise that you now have the ability to attack twice in one turn. Uh, you are in your room, I presume. Uh, well, yes. Uh, what's Pen doing with his time? Well, mostly reading, making notes, um, 
reading the notes and rewriting the notes and uh, doing a bit of practicing and uh, I have a little skull that I like to call Scully and <laughs> there's no jawbone so it well even if I ever animate it it won't talk back which is you know some, might be a good thing it might be quite it might give you a lot of back talk so now, now you've well it could that. be a good thing then yeah. I, I've been I've been using this this new acquisition this new book to try and uh, expand my repertoire okay cool so you're trying out different spells def- desperate to make something work the uh, the skull you, you practice uh, on uh, remains however uh, stubbornly unalived um, inanimate in, in, inanimate yes uh, inanimate did um, and I keep getting distracted by the drawings in the book. Yes, they are quite distracting. Uh, a well, lot of them yes. are self-portraits. Um, <laughs> uh, and oh, adverts. Oh, he realise. <laughs> uh, oh, he must have taken a lot of time over that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. That's a double-page spread. <laughs> <laughs> Just of the moustache. <laughs> Uh, eventually, I think you uh, you get a little uh, sleepy. I imagine Penn is the sort to kind of uh, take a nap with his head firmly in a book on his desk. Burning uh, the midnight oil. Mm. Indeed. Um, taking a nap, uh, Penn is transported somewhat back through his memories. Uh, back to your days at university, walking through the halls on your first day, seeing the other wizard students practicing their cantrips, and some even reaching their level one certification, while you, a small, sometimes sickly boy, wandering the library with a runny nose. Uh, what was uh, what was Penn's uh, university days like? Um, they were fulfilling, but quite lonely. Mostly because I think in the first year none of the students went into the library at all. <laughs> they went to something called pub. Hmm. Yes. You know, Didn't have a lot of books in pub. No. Um. It was in the second year that they started doing things really, and uh, by that point they didn't want to talk to me anyway. Oh, poor Pen. Um, I think you're remembering a time when during your first year. Uh, you were approached by some second years. Uh, as you're um, burning the midnight oil, as you said, uh, you see a heavenly, holy light approaching from down the row of books. Uh, the bookcase then, next to you, falls, almost crushing pen beneath it. Oh, I see. A cloud of dust is kicked up, and you manage to sort of wafted away as a figure comes into view, looming above you, tall, broad shoulders, wearing a glowing white and gold rugby shirt, his locks of divine hair flowing about his shoulders. It is, of course, your old rival, Quill Manicotti, the captain of the rugby team, the university's most prized and celebrated student, son of Lord Desmond Manicotti, who sits on the school's board of trustees, while his mother is the archangel Ithriel. He's half-angel, and he looks right down his nose at you, the half-demon. Sorry, old chap, how clumsy of me, but uh, then again, uh, perhaps you're more comfortable down there, eh? Close to the ground? Closer to hell? <laughs> 
I remember a time when I tackled you, Manicotti. Uh, he twitches slightly. Um, behind him, you see two other rugby-dressed humans uh, who's got cracking knuckles. Uh, his associates, uh, Jeremy Hargreave Gimmelthrax III and Marjorie. Uh, they are both built like brick shit houses, cracking their knuckles like bullies in a bad movie. Uh, how does Penn feel? Very small, and a bit aware that he's on his own, and he's only a first year student. And Quillamoth Quillan Manicotti graduated top of his class, of course, a year above me. Yes, and there's some question over whether he actually deserved to. Uh... Uh, to get those grades, given that you never once saw him studying in the library, and he only seems to ever come into the library to find you, to bully you. Well, you know, as in, as in uh, He uh, reaches down a hand and says, Come on, chap, I'll help you up. Well, Pen reaches up a hand almost unwillingly. Uh, he pulls you up, but then tosses you over his shoulder and into another bookcase. Oh, I Oof. do apologise. How <laughs> clumsy of me. <laughs> oh, poor little pencil boy. That's your name, isn't it? Pencil? I, I thought you were supposed to be lawful good. <laughs> I am lawful good. I stand for all that is good in the world, where you, little demon spawn, stand for all that is evil. So, if I want to do good, I suppose I should be fighting evil, don't you think? Your logic is, well, I think is a little flawed, because you're coming from the premise that you're actually good. Ooh, make an intimidation check. Thirteen. Um, he just shakes you off, uh, and uh, he uh, claps his uh, fellows around the shoulders and goes, "Well, friends, uh, what do you think we should do with this little creature here?" But before they can move in, uh, another figure comes waddling down the corridor of uh, books. Uh, it's the librarian, who gives uh, Quill and his. Uh, friends a harsh glance uh, they look at the librarian then look down at you and uh, Quill says well maybe another time eh Pencil just uh, don't trip up on your way out and as he walks past he gives you a little kick in the shins and uh, they all laugh as they go uh, the librarian comes up to you he's a gnome uh, and uh, he sort of offers a couple of platitudes and uh, says so, would you like some tea, Mr. Reginald, was it? Regante. Ah, yes. I would like a cup of tea. There's an awful lot of dust around here, and it might take a bit of a sour taste out of my mouth. Mm, I see. Yes, well, I can certainly sort that out. I'm sorry about Thank him. You. I can't really do much. can't really register a complaint against the son of one of the trustees, you understand? Oh, I understand. I've had to live with it all my life. Of course, his mother's an archangel. That's uh, even worse at uh, parent-teacher evenings, I'm afraid. <laughs> they just spread holy light across the whole situation, and then you can't see anything, and you're left babbling on the floor, giving praising and uh, groveling. It's a little embarrassing. <laughs> well, 
At least you never had to deal with my mother. Yes. Uh, you can tell that his heart really isn't in it. He is keeps like regarding you with suspicion his eyes dart to your horns and your cloven feet uh, as you're drinking your tea well i'm used to that everyone looks at me a bit funny uh he looks at you over the rim of his uh, mug and says tell me is uh, are you sure necromancy is the career choice for you isn't it a bit well stereotypical well the brands in the family don't you know I mean, when your parents have certain expectations and you've grown up and it's all you've ever known. And I really want to be good at it. Because, you know, I get told that I'm no good for anything else and I'm evil. And this and that and the other. And I think necromancy could do a lot of good for the world. Listen, we can read some of your essays that you've written this year and I'd say that you've got a good argument style. You, you could uh, could really hone that skill, I think. You'd have a good you'd have a good career in, uh, in either high corporate office or in politics. Uh, in yeah. politics, do you think? Yes. Uh, well, I hadn't thought about that. Have, have a read of this. And uh, he hands you a well-thumbed copy of a book called uh, Democratic Demons by A.K. Macaque. Ah. Professor Macaque died about ten years ago, but you can still read her words, still know her mind. In a sense, Mr. Rigante, reading a book is a kind of necromancy. It's, uh, it's the way we talk to the dead. Or it's the way the dead talk to us. No, quite. It's a little more um, wholesome, perhaps. Uh, it might uh, attract less negative attention. But, and he sort of holds up his hands and goes, it's up to you. Do you want to live your life in someone else's shadow, always cowering away from some bully who's telling you what to do, telling you who to be? Or do you want to make something of yourself? Well, my mother always said that the brighter the light, the greater the shadow. Uh, he raises an eyebrow and this and goes, Well, one of these days, if you're lucky, you'll learn to spread your own light around. And maybe make a shadow of my own. Pen wakes up and the skull on your table is looking at you. It doesn't move, it doesn't speak, it doesn't have eyes or a brain. And yet somehow, somehow, you know it's looking at you. Ooh, Scully. Almost as if you've learned a new spell, Animate Dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, the next morning, as you are preparing to reach your next de destination, uh, Lisa calls you into the... Um, uh, the common room where she has piles of newspapers and books that she's been doing research on uh, she uh, looks at you Pen I think you get there first and says oh hello Penne you interested in a bit of light reading she uh, holds up a really big book oh what's that one 
economic models in the Great Alliance over the last 200 years. I've got loads of books here. Anything you're interested in? Well, I could always have a look, and I've got an extra pair of eyes now, so to speak. <laughs> I'm sure Scully could do a little bit of light reading too. Uh, what would you like to research? Oh, wow. Good question. I can let you think about this while Lisa does her presentation. Um, so, uh, as you all uh, file in and um, take your places on the, the various sofas and uh, beanbags, uh, she uh, points to a big uh, whiteboard where she has written in big words, Elfheim. And Lisa Who's says, Elfheim? Elfheim is next on our list. It's one of the biggest economies in the GA. They've got loads of votes in the Parliament. I don't think we can sway them all, but we can sway some of them. The President, Mr. Emak Ron. He's been in power for a long time, keeps business taxes low and almost certainly has some dodgy dealings with the unsavoury characters. There have been mass protests about his regime, but he still maintains a strong lead in the polls. There's been an occasional change of spin but not in policy. Normally, you'd think that wouldn't work, but his party, on guard, won in a landslide, despite everything. Uh, she hands out some newspaper clippings from Elfheim that uh, generally give quite glowing coverage to the president and uh, very negative coverage to the protests. Look, it took some time for me to convince Gorlack that this was the best idea, he doesn't think Elfheim is the kind of government that we should be siding with ethically, as they haven't been entirely above board. Don't we have a history of not being entirely above board? Well, that's true, but they have a present of being not entirely above board too. I'm sure we do too. We do need their votes though, because there has been one major drawback. And she hands you another newspaper clipping, and you see a parliament building in a, in the distant nation of Pinskidan, the third largest in the GA, where you see the grinning face of bungling Uncle Balls. Uh, oh, not him. You see oh. custard pies on the faces of delegates. You see uh, crayons scrawled across ancient artworks. Gorlack's over there right now trying to smooth things over, but it's not looking good. So, we need a big win in Elfheim. They hold the second biggest voting block in the GA. They hold 75 votes, and I reckon, if we're lucky, we can sway about 40 of them. Any questions? Can we go somewhere where there's not so many elves? Hey! What's wrong with elves? They're also bloody high and mighty. Only because they're tall. <laughs> they're taller than you, yes. Everybody's high and mighty compared to And they're you. always making jokes about my height. That doesn't apply to all the elves. That's say you just walk Victrina. Walk into it, but you don't. You walk under it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Lisa's kind of like pressing her fingers against her temples. All elves have got two points against them. Right. Victrina and Agrilad. You two are going to be teamed oh. up on this mission. Oh. I don't care what it is. But you two are going to learn to be friends. Or I'll do something 
Um, well, you better be friends. What happens if Victrina runs away with a circus? <laughs> I'm not running away with any any circus that has a bungling Uncle Bors as its clown. I thought we were friends, Agrilad, are we not? Hi, I've got no problem with Victrina, apart from a sizist attitude. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, was there a circus? I missed it. <laughs> I mean, as far as a fighting ability goes, I can't think of anyone I'd rather have at me back. Uh, or or above your head. <laughs> she gives you, like, a, a, a big cross look. If you're not careful, Victrina, I'm going to run into your stomach. Uh, that sounds really painful. Ow, yeah. Lisa comes up yeah. to you, Victrina, and says, Listen, if you're not careful, I'm going to send you on a course. Oh, no, no, don't send me on the course. Please don't send me on the course. Oh, can I go on a course? <laughs> a sensitivity training course. Oh, I don't think you'd no. like the group exercises. Any other questions? Yeah, can I go on a course? <sighs> See what I can do. Never been on a course. I Sounds really like it might be fun. I really want to see it. Is it like an horse? I've never had on the sensitivity training course. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> oh, speaking of horse. Who left the uh, Griffin burgers in the kitchen? <laughs> oh, oh, I meant to eat them, but I fell asleep. Well, they were tasty. Oh, well, I'm glad you liked them, though. Oh, don't worry, I left you one. Oh, thank you. I think. Can I ask? No. What kind of magic do they have in Elfheim? Ah, a very good question. Thank you for distracting us. Elfheim is very magical. They tend to favour conjuration. Now, there is a piece of research I was doing before running out of time. Uh, she flicks over to, uh, she flicks through quite a few slides to get to this one. Uh, there is a tremendous amount of magic in this one city here. The Sleeping City. Oh, can I have a nap? Well, nobody has been allowed in there for hundreds of years. But there's a lot of magic, and Ooh. I thought it was interesting. I want to go. don't know how relevant it'll be, but it is cool. Some of our green energy policies might not be that popular in a country with a ridiculously magical city in it. So, we might want to keep that down a bit. So, so, so let me get this straight. There's this city called the Sleeping City, what's full of magic, and nobody's allowed to go there. So what you're saying is we should investigate, we wink, should wink. We should go there, yes. I'm not saying that for certain, wink, wink. No, you're not saying it for certain, but you're insinuating, wink, wink, that we should go and have a look. Sorry, not go and have a look. I My think this is an important is... research topic. Yes, Agrilad is being uncommonly perceptive, I think. Yes, uh, she comes and shakes your hand, Agrilad. Like... Agrilad, well done. You're finally learning about subtlety. <laughs> I'm so proud. Um, <laughs> Hen, uh, what was your um, research project that you wanted to delve well, into? Um, well, I've just discovered one, I think. Hmm. The Sleeping City. Okay, do you want to do an investigation check? I just learned a new language. <laughs> Subtlety. Yeah. Uh, 13 plus 6 is 19. 19, okay, cool. Uh, the Sleeping City, uh, 
has a lot of legends around it, and you you find a lot of these in the uh, history books of Elfheim that Lisa has picked up. Uh, the Sleeping City was once the capital, and uh, in it the royal family once lived, until they were all beheaded uh, by a revolution that sparked about 2,000 years ago. Uh, the Sleeping City has been left untouched for most of the time since then. However, the powerful magical fields that surround it, uh, that keep all of the people within uh, asleep, it seems, uh, are so um, like the magical equivalent of radioactive uh, that there hasn't been a lot of uh, people going into there for quite some time. Um, one thing that you do pick out, uh, with a 19 actually, uh, as you are looking at the sources for some of the information, uh, you see that there's a large quotation uh, that's just kind of describing the magic surrounding the city and the quotation is cited uh, to is attributed to Professor Ash Williams uh, Professor of Necromancy Ooh. and it's from a book that you have well I never uh, and as you sort of cross-reference this uh, can you make another investigation check while, you, while he's doing that so everybody in this city is asleep I know how we sort it We've got to kiss a frog. <laughs> <laughs> I read that in a book once. Twenty-three. Twenty-three. Uh, you I'm really up, this. Uh, You pull up the section on the Sleeping City that Ash Williams wrote about, uh, where he is in Dead Good, Better Living Through Necromancy. Yes. Would it not? Yes, it yes. is. Uh, uh-huh. He uh, he opines that the sleeping spell that covers the city radiates a lot of necrotic energy more than it does conjuration energy uh, or rather it used to be necrotic energy that has uh, degraded into uh, conjuration energy and uh, he is very interested in it and has he even sketches out uh, a proposed um, ex- expedition into the city uh, but you do read in the um, end notes that uh, the expedition was rejected four times uh, and this book came out about five years ago. Ooh. Wait, how do you degrade necrotic energy? Necrotic energy is final. Uh, do you want to make an arcana check? Twenty... Yeah. Two? Okay. Yeah. There is one thing that you have experienced in all of your studies that can change uh, one form of magic into another. And that is something you have only encountered in passing in your real life. And it's something that a lot of people dismiss out of hand. But the rumours suggest that the one thing that can change a magic's energy is the ooze. Ooh, not the ooze. The sea gives way to emerald shores that roll beyond the horizon, grass that waves in the breeze, hills with smooth rises and deep falls, rivers that glimmer and shimmer. You see elven roads sprawling from east to west. Uh, you see spy, you spy hovels and hamlets, thatched roofs and spiralling barn towers, all connected by these glimmering elven roads. Uh, the farmland fades to towns and cities, 
All stereotypes of elves are here in force. Art deco, branching towers, leaf-shaped buildings, waterfalls with little rivers spotted with swan boats and all that jazz. Uh, it's probably also a lot of jazz. You know, I've forgotten how, how wanky elf architecture <laughs> uh, The capital has a gigantic tower covered in what looks like owl eyes. It's like a forest has grown vertically and, and it's all clinging together, but every leaf is white with a piercing gaze. The eyes fell tower. Uh, <laughs> uh, as Bessie lands in a clearing, uh, in the capital city, the new capital city, uh, which is named the Elfheim capital of Garris. Uh, although, uh, Victrina, with your knowledge of uh, Elvish, you know that it is pronounced Gary. <laughs> uh, Are you... all the elves riding around on bicycles with strings of onions around them? <laughs> it's not France. It just sounds like French. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a strong trade in stripy jerseys. Yes. Yes. It's Garlic that... does very well here. Yes. yes vampires are not welcome. Um... Yeah. Are they into impressionism? Uh, Ooh, as do you, you think they could do an impression of me? <laughs> I think that would be difficult. Uh, oh. As Bessie lands you in are a unique. clearing... Uh, you see uh, security elves uh, are uh, helping the uh, zeppelin um, be um, secured. Uh, as you disembark, there is a crowd being held back by a metal barrier, uh, again designed with flowers and branching leaves. Uh, the crowd is booing, throwing insults and rotten fruit in your direction. And people are saying, Go back to Darnoth! We don't want your stinking goblin piss in the GA! You're here to smash our city with your giant robots too! Get back in the sky! And uh, the crowd seems very hostile. I and you see. Very cautiously. Uh, as you're walking around, you see a lot of press who are uh, looking at you and uh, making notes as you come into the. Uh, as you walk along the boulevard uh, and are uh, pelted with uh, rotten fruit. Uh, as you're going... Agrilad is wearing his most dwarvish of, dwar of um, monk robes. <laughs> it's that one uh, that makes you look even shorter. No, it'll be... It includes, includes a fake beard. Ah. Uh, as you're going, uh, over the uh, rise in the land, you see a gigantic figure that is staring down at you, arms folded across its massive chest. It has a face with a giant duck's bill, underneath which are hundreds of squirming tentacles. It's a kind of duck form of Cthulhu, if that makes any sense. Uh, and it's wearing a suit, this giant. Uh, it approaches, booming with every footstep, and kneels down and exchange, stretches out a hand uh, towards Lisa and says, Hello, I am the Murduck, the media giant. <laughs> Amazing. Welcome to Elfheim. I'm sure we'll be doing a lot of business.
campaign trail referendum was written and produced by Joel Corner. It starred Aim Phoenix as Perrin Bazonian, Stephen Poor as Penrigante, Joanne Hall as Victorina Crested Grebe, and S. Naomi Scott as Agrilad. Diana Croft was the newsreader. Louis Bear Mendes was the Green Lord. Martha Buckley was Captain Biscuits, and Genevieve Savion was Lisa Townsend. The theme music was produced and performed by Aim Phoenix. You can support the campaign trail by going to patreon.com slash the campaign trail. We have special perks such as our exclusive Discord server, early access to episodes, and the chance to have your own DD character appear in the show. You can follow the campaign trail on Twitter at the campaigncast, on facebook.com forward slash campaigncast, at soundcloud.com forward slash Joel Corner, and wherever you find podcasts. So until next time, go back to your constituencies and prepare for adventure. Thank you.